Hello and a warm welcome to Living Fabulously with Bev. The mission for the show is to get to the heart of well-being through inspirational stories of everyday people, expert insights from a number of health and lifestyle related disciplines, and exploration of topics that underpin well-being. If you want to take control of your well-being and put yourself front and center in your life, then this is the podcast for you. I want you to feel calm, nurtured and inspired so you can enjoy your life and your success. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you know someone else that would get value from the show as well, please share it with them. Join me on this journey and let's live the fab life together. Today, I'm really excited to introduce my guest, Dr. Bridget Cooper, who is a best-selling author, but I love that she describes herself as a cage rattler, a change agent, a thought shifter, a sculptor of human potential. She's a wonderful woman. Welcome, Bridget. Thank you, Bev. It's wonderful to be here. I'm glad to be able to have an opportunity to have a conversation with you about living fabulously. Yeah, exactly. And (laughs) tell me about yourself and what it is that you do. Sure. So I do a host of things. You mentioned that I'm a best-selling author. I didn't start out that way. Um, I actually wrote my first book as a way to introduce myself and my way of thinking about things to potential clients. And then people kept talking to me about more and more issues that they were trying to solve. So I kept writing books. Um, my primary uh, source of, of um, business and, and uh, experience is in doing corporate consulting with change work, uh, changing culture, changing attitudes about success, about stress, about conflict. Um, really helping uh, leaders be better leaders by being better people first. So in that, I end up doing a lot of keynotes and executive coaching and um, and group work and seminars and things. So whole lot of stuff out there that I can uh, whole lot of rattle, rattling cages and um, and change strategy work and thought shifting that I like to do. Oh, that's awesome, and that's what we're going to talk about today is all about change. So yeah. I really recognize that. People find it difficult to change. There's this resistance that comes up about we say we think we want to do something differently. It could be something to do with our well-being. It could be something to do with our business or our relationships. Mm -hmm. And we just find it so difficult to stick at it. And I see with a lot of my clients is there's some well-trodden excuses that I hear when I'm trying to help people transform their sleep. And there's this perception and and unrecognize it as resistance. So they might say things like, it's going to be too much hard work. I'm not sure that I'm willing to make the sacrifices. So there's a story, there's a backstory that's going on. Mm. And so why do you believe that change is so difficult? And why do people really get stuck just doing the same thing over and over again? I think it comes down to control. Um, I think change is scary. Change puts you in a new position, a new place to rethink things that you've always thought, even though they weren't working, you've always thought them. So there's some comfort in that. And embarking on something new and different takes a certain amount of confidence and a certain amount of, uh, you talk about resistance, it it takes this kind of hands off the wheel at some level, because you're not going to be in control of all of the things you've been in control of to that point. So Um, I actually wrote my third book uh, called Stuck You, um, Stuck University, short for Stuck University, um, which is a five-step model for change. And I paid a lot of attention 
to the second step because the first step is awareness, but the second step is what usually trips people up and it's acceptance. And people think, oh, acceptance that I have to change. Well, yeah, that's one part of it. But the other part of it is this acceptance of how you got to the place that you are, recognizing that what brought you to this place is 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 understandable meaning it's it's based on your narrative you talked about that 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 kind of story that they have it's based on that narrative that they've created about what's true about the world what's true about themselves what's true about their potential what's true about other people and this set of rules and and boundaries and story that they've created that feels safe and feels true, but isn't necessarily working to their advantage. So in that acceptance step, it's looking at that story and recognizing and accepting that it got them to where they are, but it might not get them, it most likely won't get them to where they need to be. So uh, in that in that step, it's, it's really kind of a digging in process um, as much as it is a, a kind of a resting process. So I I think that's, I I think it comes down to control. I think one of our basic human needs is control and the idea of change. And I face it when I work with clients one-on-one, when I work with them in groups and I work with entire organizations is that that resistance comes from not feeling mastery over where they're headed. Um, So they just would rather, even if it's miserable, stay where they are. What I also get is that sometimes the change is required because it's brought upon you, right? but sometimes it's a voluntary change. So, for example, if you have a health crisis and, you know, your health is in complete jeopardy, that gets brought upon you and you need to take action. Right. But I'd love, I really would love to have people work in that space of prevention. Right. So making the change gently and carefully and consciously before you need to make the change with your well-being. Right. I personally had a health crisis and it took that to actually make me stop in my tracks. Mm. But I'm an advocate for really working with people to say, you know, have a quality of life through the quality of your sleep and through your well-being rather than wait for that crisis to hit you and then force the change upon you where there's a level of stress to it. Right. And there's also a level of, of not being successful because when you're in a crisis point, you've already probably done a great deal of damage um, to yourself, perhaps even to your relationships, to your opportunities for success. You've really hindered yourself. And then you're trying to kind of dig your way out of a really deep hole. Whereas, like you said, if you advocate for that preventative model of trying to do that self-care heading in before you're going to hit some sort of problem, you prevent the problem, or at least you diminish its its hold on you. What I also see a lot is people always have the best intention, Bridget. They mm-hmm. set really clear goals around what they want to do for their health and well-being, but then they get lost in things like social media that undermine <laughs> their success. So they'll tell me, I'm going to bed at 10 p.m., and then I'll see posts on Facebook at 11, right. 12 o'clock at night. So why <laughs> is it that 
that happens. Right. So it get, it goes back to um, what I talked about in the beginning about uh, resisting change because of wanting to meet that need for control. Uh, it To me, it, it pivots back to understanding what our four core needs are. So I actually, that was the basis of my, my first book and then my rewrite, which was my second book for teens, which is about what are those four core needs and how can you be attentive and aware of them um, so that you can actually make sure that they're being met in ways that are constructive rather than destructive. And I'll just quickly go through them. So the four core needs are control, connection, which is our connection to other people, our connection to ourself, our connection to our higher power. Um, third is passion and purpose, which is kind of feeling like you matter, that there's a, a role for you here, that you feel um, just passionate and purposeful about the, the work and the, and the things that you're doing in the world. And then finally is validation, is getting some sort of you, you know, good, good girl, good boy, attaboy, you know, job well done. Um, don't you look great? Don't, it wasn't that a great job you did that sort of thing. And I think, you know, talking about social media, good Lord, we get so wrapped up in that. And it's because in a lot of ways, it hits on a number of those needs, particularly connection and validation most often. And so what I find is that if people are saying in, in the example that you gave, you know, I want to go to bed at 10 and they're not seeing this, you know, direct, if I don't go to bed at 10, I'm going to you know, die or I'm going to get really sick. They don't see that immediate payoff. They can get lost in trying to meet needs that haven't been met during the day in this other way. So going to sleep, maybe isn't going to meet their need for validation or connection. So they're going to go find it before they go to bed, which has them lingering on those kinds of places for, for a long time. So if I were intervening and I were trying to rattle that cage of that person to kind of get them to, to shift their thinking about what they're doing is I would be asking them what, in what ways during the day, during your waking hours, your planned waking hours, could you be attending to those other needs? Could you be getting those needs met before you try to go to bed, you know, kind of just having that, raising that level of awareness that they're trying to meet needs that haven't yet been met before they've started to rest um, and maybe shifting that some so that they can meet those needs in more, again, constructive versus destructive ways and, and destructive meaning, you know, loss of sleep, you know, agitation, you know, trying to solve, you know, social problems at, you know, 11 o'clock at night, <laughs> <laughs> things like that. So, um, you know, cause that's where all change happens, right. Is on Facebook. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I, I think that, you know, I, I think it's putting people in a position of power over and control again, that, that core need of control over what it is that they're doing that will meet their needs, that will put them in, um, a satisfying space in their own being of getting their needs met. And that's why and I'm glad you've actually touched on those four core needs because the other driver that people often use is I never have time for myself mm. and that's why I'm on Facebook. So I turn that on its head and we use a wind down routine, which is all about self-care and nurturing. Right. And so it is creating that connection back to self and perhaps with yep. your partner, you know, and coming back to validating I am worthy, I am valuable, and I'm spending this time just taking care of myself. Mm. 
I love that you've actually connected yeah. with what I actually teach and 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 we've never worked together on that. So that's beautiful. I know. It, it's it's so funny, you know, I what I notice in um in the work that I do is that so many of us who are working in this, um, these professions, whether, I mean, there's so many ways of understanding the, the professions that we, that we hold, but that we're doing a lot of the same things. We're talking about wanting to expand joy. We're talking about wanting to expand, um, satisfaction, connection, peace, abundance, like all these things. We're just coming at it in different ways. You're coming at it from a sleep and a, and a rest and a self-care perspective. And I'm coming at it from a interpersonal and an intrapersonal, you know, direction, but it's all, it's all just the same thing. We're doing a lot of the same things in different ways, kind of at the same target. So I love that. I love the web that we're creating, uh, to try to, increase that, those, those things, those awarenesses, um, that can help us live better lives, live better together, create more peace, you know, recognize and, and participate in, in creating more abundance. I love that. I love it. Me too. And what I also, what I also noticed, Bridget, is that, and I don't know if it's just with women, uh, you know, I haven't worked mm-hmm. with enough men to, to have a view on that. But what I realize is that as women, we often get trapped in this negative self-talk. So ah. we are the waiting for perfection with our sleep, our well-being, whatever it is, even in our businesses. Right. And we get into this cycle of negativity where we wouldn't even speak to our best friend like that. So we but we do that to ourselves, you know, and we berate mm. ourselves for every minor failing and we flog ourselves over different things. And yet we actually marginalize any wins that we're having. We sort of, it's almost like we edit them out of our lives. Right. And so, you know, things like the way that I get clients to overcome that is to use something like a sleep diary. But mm. um, obviously that's just a tool that they can use. But how do you break that cycle of negative self-talk when you've got such a patterned way of thinking? Ah, I love that. So I think part of it is, and again, going back to that five-step model for change, part of it is the awareness that that's what they're doing. Because I think a lot of us don't even recognize that we're actually doing that. So like you have the sleep journal, I have people that I'm working with, especially on this issue, which is so common, that negative self-talk, is becoming aware. Is at, it, The simplest thing is becoming aware, raising our level of awareness about the fact that we're actually even doing that. Because the tapes have been playing for so long, they're in the background, you don't even notice them. There, there. People say, "I can't change how I feel," and I say, "Well, you can change how you feel if you change how you think." And a lot of us are having these thoughts that are popping up over time that we're not even aware of, and then all of a sudden we start feeling something, and then we're doing something based on the feeling, and we have to start back and move back a couple of steps and go back to the thought. So how do we how do we stop some of that negative self-talk? I think again, first is becoming aware of it. Second is challenging it, you know, is is looking at it and saying is that like you said, you know, I wouldn't even talk to my friend that way. Is that really accurate? Is there another way that I could see that same thing? So, okay, so I'm feeling, let's say I'm feeling really fat. Okay, so I could be feeling fat. Is there another way of looking at this? Is it, did I overeat because I was feeling lonely, right? Or I was feeling angry, or I was feeling sad, or I haven't been working out because I've been feeling tired. Okay, is there, an, uh, can I look at feeling fat 
different as instead of looking at it as failure, can I look at it as information? Can I look at that feeling that 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 negative self-talk of oh, I'm such a failure because I've let myself get fat? Can I look at it as, huh, I must have been taking care of myself in a way that isn't serving me in terms of body shape or, or, you know, kind of endurance and that sort of thing, but that was serving me in some other way. Okay. So I was taking care of myself, but not in the way that's constructive. So I think part of it is, is, is shifting that, is that shifting that narrative to kind of question how we're, how we're coming to those conclusions that bring us to be really berating ourselves. And this, the other piece that I really think I, I've seen it and there's, there's empirical evidence, um, there's neuroscience on it is gratitude is coming back to looking at gratitude as a practice, as a real defined, organized, implemented, structured practice. And what I'm talking about is first thing in the morning, middle of the day, end of the evening, is calling to mind the things that we're grateful for. And why do I say that that's so important in terms of breaking negative self-talk? How can those two things be connected? Well, oftentimes what we look at, we create, you know, what we focus our attention on, we get more of, and that's, it's a proven fact. So if we are looking at it, we, we implement a gratitude practice. We, we say first thing in the morning and last thing in the evening, just to start, we're going to think of five things we're grateful for before we pull our head up off the pillow, before we close our eyes on it. We think of five things that we are grateful for that occurred during the day or that we are grateful that are in our lives as we wake up. We focus our attention on those things. And what happens during the day then is we're looking like we've got to create that list. Like at 10 o'clock tonight, I'm going to need to come up with my five things. What are those five things? So we start looking in our environment to not only do things that we can be then grateful for having the opportunity to do, but receive things in a way that makes us grateful. So let someone open the door for us or open the door for someone. And those things then help us to focus in those positive, grateful, abundant kind of mindset versus getting stuck in that old tape of I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not, you know, um, you know, hardworking enough, all of that. Because if we focus our attention there, we, we create like a groove and a record. We create a deeper groove that is harder to get out of. So create a new track. Yeah, I love that. Let's create new tracks because it is, I mean, that's the way the brain is wired, you know, yeah. it creates pathways and they it uses the path of least resistance all the time. Right. So that choice to actually be aware, challenge the story, explore it, and then shift the narrative by, you know, putting your also your focus on something else. I think you and I have been teaching the same thing from a different perspective for a long time. Isn't that great? I love this. Isn't that great? We're changing, love this. we're changing the world from two different parts of the world too. I mean, and by the way, let me just say, I absolutely love being on this recording because I love your accent. But I digress. <laughs> I, I, you could, I don't. You could be my new sleep tape because I would fall blissfully to sleep listening to the melodious sound of your voice. I love, love your accent. So anyway. 
but go uh-huh. on with it. Thank you. Well, well, then you would love my guided relaxation for restorative sleep. Oh, my gosh. So. I would. I would just be, oh, my God, I would probably be narcoleptic. I'd be sleeping, like, all the time. I just want to listen to you in the car. I want to listen to you at house. I'd want to listen to you on my walk. So, anyway, I have I have a thing for accents. I love people with um, with just, you know, inviting accents like that. It just it, it lulls me into this different space. It's it's quite interesting, Bridget, because I do get a little bit of teasing from the people in Australia because of the way I pronunciate certain things. Uh-huh. And so they lovingly tease me about certain things. But so thank you for giving me some <laughs> validation that my accent's okay. Your ac- I can't, I don't know what those things are. I absolutely love your accent. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bridget, we've sort of essentially been talking about empowerment. You know, like to me, it's sort of, you've mentioned things like, that taking back control and recognizing your story. So it's all coming from within you, using your own wisdom. Uh, Not necessarily, you might need support from others, but it's also about coming back to yourself, your own wisdom and taking action with that. And I'd love to know more about your latest book where you actually are bringing all these things together. Yeah, thank you. So it's funny. I um, People have been asking me about, you know, what direction my career is taking, and I'm kind of handing some of that control over to the universe, you know, kind of taking some deliberate steps, because this book is very different in many ways than the books that I've written before. Um, the four books that I wrote before this one were very practitioner modeled, very, um, you know, advice driven, fun stories. I kind of, you know, tilted my hand a bit on telling you some personal vignettes about things that I struggle with because I feel like that increases people's connection to the, to the, um, work, but it was not my personal story per se. And this fifth book called little landslides, um, is a book about how we rise up from our pain. Um, the word landslides talk it's used in, kind of two different ways in the world. One, you know, that person won by a landslide, like it's a huge victory. When in fact, what a landslide is, is an utter devastation of a landscape that creates new ground. And you heard me talking about narrative. And when I talk about personal power in all of the books, I talk about narrative and shifting that narrative. And I talk about uh, understanding how absolutely powerful we each are if we can hold that power and not give it away. And there's so much, um, there, there is so much abuse out there of power. There's so much, um, you know, people trying to control other people in a variety of ways. And the people who are then hurt by that can get stuck in that space, can get stuck in that sense of hopelessness and powerlessness and victimization. And what I've noticed and experienced in my own life is the more that we hold there, the more power we give away and the more other people end up hurting as a result of our own sense of of victimization. Um, So my book is a real personal journey through some really terrorizing kind of um, and disturbing um, abuse as a child and how I, I took those experiences and shifted them into something that I've, I've seen change lives um, because I've been able to take those lessons and take those experiences and turn them into something that, that has been 
useful and powerful for other people. So yeah, my, my whole, you know, my whole theme, um, is about personal power, not power over other people, but power that comes from within, from understanding and recognizing how much power we really do have over our thoughts, over our feelings, over our actions, um, so that we can make those powerful shifts when we do find ourselves off track to be able to live an abundant life that, that matters, that, that helps others, that leaves a footprint, um, not a bad big carbon one, but another good one, um, so that we can take the bad things that have happened to us and that can happen to us going forward and try to transform them into something beautiful. That's amazing. I'm looking forward to reading that. Thank you. We have so many parallels. I'm I'm actually excited and, and it's amazing all at the same time because the book I'm busy writing is a similar principle mm. but it's around self-help for people navigating chronic illness yeah. and you know it's coming from the same thing from my own lessons from my own way of actually coming back to myself and empowering myself to take action and stand up for myself right and what are your tips for living fabulously Bridget uh my tips for living fabulously one is figuring out um and not having a clear tight definition of it, but understanding what are your gifts? What are you good at? Not just maybe it's photography or something like that, but are you good at, you know, connecting with people or connecting people? Are you good at making people feel noticed? Whatever those things are, do more of those instead of focusing on the things that you're, you aren't so good at. Like I'm a terrible singer, instead of looking there and ways that you can improve yourself, do more of the things that you're good at. That's number one. Number two, notice people. One of the biggest things that's really um, hurting our our communities and our, our world is not noticing people. Just be attentive and notice people. If you see someone, have eye contact with them, give them a smile, hold open a door, but notice other people. And number three, go gently. Be peaceful as much as you can. Sometimes winning an argument or a discussion or something else really isn't worth what you think it's worth. So go gently, go peacefully um, in the world and just be amazed at, at, the, uh, at the abundance that you receive in, in response. Oh, that's wonderful. I just love that. Thank you. That's really living fabulously. You got it. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. That's great. Thank you. And you can find Bridget at her website. It's drbridgetcooper.com and also on Facebook under Dr. Bridget Cooper. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much, Bridget, for being with me today. And I just love that we have this alignment and I think it's serendipitous that we're talking today. Absolutely. What I also recognize is I love that you've taken work that you're doing actively in with people in a corporate situation, but we've actually related it to well-being because it yeah. is, you know, it's, it's relatable to every single part of our lives. And I love, I also use the words, what you focus your attention on, we get more of and mm-hmm. the gratitudes, you know, it's really interesting that, you know, the brain is wired for protecting us. So it forgets those positive things so quickly and spending time bringing those gratitudes to mind like you say, it gets them top of mind 
and then we seek more of the same. It sort of like creates that seeking missile in our brain, you know, that's looking yeah. out for it more positively. It shifts our entire energy and we are made up of energy. I mean, that's, that's all that matter is, is compressed energy. So when we shift that energy, we shift everything and we shift life. Yeah. And I really love that we're talking about the same things about changing how you feel by changing the way that you think and really getting into that self-exploration through the awareness, Mm -hmm. you know, and I really encourage listeners to have moments in their day where they are contemplating these things because when we're too busy with life, Mm -hmm. we don't have time to stop and take stock. And that's when we just become human doings and not human human beings. (laughs) And to me, the way that we've talked about this is sort of create the time for awareness, challenge the story you're telling yourself, explore that failing and see it as information Mm. that's giving you something you can move forward with and then shift your narrative using the gratitudes. And I think for me, that's just, it's just completely aligned with what I do. And so thank you very much for being with me today. Thank you, Bev. It was wonderful. And I love living fabulously. Um, I think that just, just saying the name of your, of your work is just um, exactly what we all need to be doing more of. Life's too short to do anything else. Sleeping Fabulously starts on Monday, 20th of February, 2017. It's a four-week course to transform your sleep. You've probably tried a few things to get better sleep, but you just can't turn this around. If you want more good days and you could do with less nights of struggle, then this is the course for you. All the details can be found at bit.ly forward slash sleepfabulously. Thank you so much for listening and I would love to know what you enjoyed most about this episode. You can connect with me on Facebook by searching for Living Fabulously with Bev or feel welcome to leave a message or comment on my website. You can get the links and any references from this episode in the show notes at my website www.livingfabulously.com forward slash podcasts. Do you have a friend who you think deserves to live fabulously? Spread the love around by sharing the podcast with them right now. Until next time, be sure to live the fab life. The information shared here and in our programs and webinars should not be seen as medical advice and is not meant to take the place of seeing licensed health professionals.